I think that, you know, to quote the old the French adage, and I won't do it in French, but, you know, the more things change, the more they stay the, the same. The more they stay the same, absolutely. I think, that's, I think that is quite true of the monarchy. I think that is something which it's always changed, yet it still had that same sense of continuity, but mm. yet it has be changed to become relevant to each generation. And I think that that's what we're seeing now, and I think that's what we'll continue to see. Welcome to Coronation Catastrophes, a Royal History Geeks podcast commemorating the coronation of King Charles III and Queen Camilla. Hello, Royal History Geeks, and welcome to the bonus, unexpected, and impromptu fifth episode of Coronation Catastrophes, where we review the coronation that was not a catastrophe of His Majesty King Charles III and Her Majesty Queen Camilla. I am joined, as I have been throughout this series, by uh, James Taylor, royal expert, I'm going to say, commentator, broadcaster, and I am, of course, if you do not already know, and, and how could you not know, Gareth Benjamin Street, a creator of Royal History Geeks and publisher of a recent book on Prince Arthur, which I'm always reluctant to mention, but somehow slips into conversation regardless of the topic. James, how are you today? I'm very well, thank you. And congratulations on the book. Oh, thanks. I don't like to mention it. No, I know. So. I, I know you're so reluctant. I wasn't going to say anything, but then, you know, I, I, something told me that I ought to mention it. But no, seriously, congratulations on it. Very, I've, I've enjoyed very good of you. Um, oh, you've read it. You've read it. Of course, you've read it now, haven't you? I have read it. I think it was very, very illuminating. And I thought it was very well researched, very well written. You know, it's got a nice pace to it. So well done. Oh, thank you. That's very, that's very kind. You never quite know what someone else is going to make of it and as always with these kinds of projects and i'm sure every author would say the same there's never as much time as you think and, and, and you could have 10 years and there still would not be as much time as you think so you know toward the end you're always writing faster than you might otherwise have which may be why there's a good pace to it um but i'm glad i'm glad people do seem to be enjoying it and people are this the online you know for all we talk about and i'm not wanting to go off on a tangent before we even get into it but People talk a lot about negativity on social media, and there's no doubt that that is true. But I have to say, within the history community, it's very supportive, and people are kind, and people are generous with what they say. And I think that is a promising thing for the future of history. The future of history, I didn't mean to say that, but that's... The future of history. Yeah, the future as, of history. Yes, as we go forward, looking back. Exactly, rather than going back, looking forward, I suppose. Um, so we're going to have fairly relaxed chat aren't we about the coronation this just opportunity we originally said we do a month on what are considered reflections of the coronation and indeed what that means for the monarchy and um, throughout the king's reign it's now more than a month because <laughs> we're busy bees um so it's all six weeks on we're gonna have a chat i've got i've got a pint of lager and people can see if they're watching on youtube you've oh. got a drink as well haven't you yeah i don't drink beer but yes i've got a gin and tonic and tonic so i must can, point out I, i'm drinking lager not beer oh. so we can so you're a lager loud i'm not a really very loudish am i <laughs> i mean it's true a few of these and i start singing the national anthem in quite a 
in a gregarious manner. I'm not sure well, how loutish that I'll is. I'll tell you about that when we when we get into it. Because you were at the coronation, weren't you? News. So I got there the day before, so I I got the first train down there on the Friday morning, and so I was in London for about seven o'clock, and so I went to to find my spot, and so I found a place on the Mall near Horse Guards mm. Parade, and I, I thought, well, you to be there, you know, you want to be able to get a good view on on coronation day itself of the procession and so i thought being there you'd get a good view of them going to the abbey and then of them returning and also mm. to be able to get a good view um when they open up the mall and open up the barriers to be able to get to the uh the palace to be able to see the balcony appearance mm. and it, it paid off so i was i was pleased with that but yes yeah, so i met a friend of mine mm. and it's really funny actually because it was only last year that i first met him mm. i met him at the queen's platinum jubilee thanksgiving service outside st paul's cathedral oh yeah and because he's a you know fellow royal enthusiast, we've we've stayed in touch and we've become quite good friends. And so we arranged to meet to watch the coronation together. And so we both went in our Union Jack suits, yeah. and um, we got quite a bit of attention for that, I must mm. say, and a lot more attention than ever we would have expected, because we had must have been more than a hundred people either want to take wow. our photographs or want selfies with us. Or wanted pictures of their children with us. It was oh. so strange. It was lovely, but but strange. And what was really funny is this woman came up to us, and she said, "Would you mind, you know, taking a photograph with a, a, if I take a photograph of my son with you both?" I said, "No, no, that's fine. Of course, you know, you come stand here." And and she said, "God, I love your accent. It's so English." And I thought, "But I am English. You're in I England. Surprise <laughs> to anyone." But you, I've said to you before, and I think, I think you, I don't know, I don't think you know quite how to take it. I think you are very quintessential. Quintessential, and I are. That's a very kind way of, of describing yes, it. Yes, I think you're very quintessential, as am I, in a slightly different way. But you are, um, you, if someone thinks of a English, and I probably do mean English rather than British in this context, but English, you know, loves the monarchy at the coronation, you're sort of the sort of thing I think people would call to mind but yeah it was but we did and we, and we had that and, and we, we were also interviewed by lots of different foreign news crews as well from around the world I think it was because they, they thought that we'd look quite nice on camera but it was we had a, a lovely time um and actually the weather was kinder to us than than we thought it might be mm. because the forecast hadn't been great we did have a thunderstorm on the friday lunchtime and i was supposed to be doing an interview with the uh, local tv but mm. uh, i i rang them and said it because it was pre-recorded could we do it a little bit later because you'll only see me huddling under an umbrella and it won't mm. be great so that that was fine my friend by this time he'd gone off to buy the coffee so he was he was fine he was in a shop doorway mm. taking shelter so i was in the mall soaking wet mm, um, but then but then the it, it all cleared and everything was lovely and it was lovely bright sunny the rest of friday um and luckily it was fine overnight because i'm i am not i don't want i i do not want rumors to go around that i enjoy camping out I, that's one thing that i i went once when i was in the cubs and that was quite enough mm. but i knew that for you know an occasion like this if you didn't go early and you didn't stay out the night you wouldn't get a good view because you know mm, last mm, year when it was mm. the queen's funeral I had gone because uh, I, I booked a hotel room and I travelled down on the Sunday ready for the funeral on the Monday. And there were so many people in the mall already mm. by mid-Sunday afternoon that I thought, unless I stay here now, I'm not going to get a, a good mm. spot. Mm. So, yeah, so I, I booked a hotel room, didn't stay in it. 
and stayed there. So that, so I didn't make that mistake this time. I just went straight there and I see. And we we I found see. our That's spot. Brave. That's brave. And so and so we were there in our camping chairs, and I'd got I got a Union Jack blanket mm. that I managed to snuggle under in a sleeping bag. And uh, yeah, so we we settled in for the night, and it was it, it was actually much much nicer than you would have thought. Except we were woken up very early. We were woken up at four o'clock because mm. of telling people to put their uh, sleeping bags and their tents away. But um, mm. while while we were rudely awakened, it did add to the atmosphere. I must say, That's because well, yeah, because and by that time people were you know crowding into the mall. It was starting to get busy. And you must have been on a bit of an adrenaline wave, I would have thought, at that yes. stage, getting up yes, early. You were. And... you were, you were. And because I'd, I'd had a late night the night before I went as well. And so I'd not had very much sleep before I got there. But you were just sort of carried along by the wave of adrenaline. And also, you know, the, the wave of, of love and affection that everybody seemed to have. Mm. It was such a happy, jolly mm. atmosphere. Well, was there a there. community spirit with those of you that were camping overnight? Yes, there was, there was. Um, there were some we with some lovely people, very friendly, and you know, a lady looked after our bags while we went off and got something mm. to eat and things like that. And so it really was, it really was very pleasant and very friendly. And we had a bit of a sing song and things like that. It was mm. really it was it was what really sort of songs nice, did you sing? Oh yeah, all the you know, the, the sort of things that you would for, for an occasion like Go that. Go on. Well, we practiced the national anthem and then there were, you know, things like Rule Britannia and things like Ooh, that. So, Britannia. yeah. I mean, brilliant. It was, you know, it was, How it, many verses did people know of Rule Britannia? Do you know, I'm, I couldn't say, I'm, I'm, I, I'm not bad at that, but, you mm. know, a lot of people don't. Um, but I will say, <laughs> we'll, we'll talk properly about the, about Coronation Day when we get to yeah. it. But I will say, you know, when we got to the national anthem. Yeah. Um, because in the in the mall, you did, they didn't have big screens in the mall. They'd got them in the parks, but you couldn't see anything in the mall. But you could hear the service being broadcast. Right. And so when it got to the national anthem, <laughs> we we started everybody singing the national anthem, mm, mm, you know, mm. because we were very keen and very patriotic. And so people did. Everybody joined in, which was lovely. But then you know when they got to the end of the first verse, they started yes. clapping and cheering. And oh then, no! And thinking, no, no! There's another verse coming now. <laughs> so well, they only did two verses, didn't they? They did only two verses, yes. Which is which is the maximum that you get on any of these occasions. Is is that right? I've never seen any more than two verses at an official. I mean, when I was a child and we had our remembrance service, we used to have six verses. And um, mm. but no, I've never known. I, I think the hymn books that we have in church have got three verses, but we don't. I've never known at a state occasion them sing more than two. And actually, in the last few years of the Queen's reign, they only sang the first verse. Yes, but they they did sing both verses. You know, the I mean, second verse starting by choice. It's debatable as to whether any more than that actually is officially part. I mean, how well whatever is officially part of the national anthem is debatable. But this was a song, "God Save the King." which over time, by, I think, just common usage, became adopted as the National Anthem. As far as I know, no one it ever did, sat down and said, did. this is the National and Anthem. And of course, there, there has been, over the centuries, a tradition of adding in extra verses for particular occasions. So if you mm. look, when George III, there was an assassination attempt on him at the theatre. So mm. Sheridan hastily wrote the verse, from every latent foe, from the assassin's blow, God save the king. Okay. And that was sung at the end of the performance. I and see. So that was an, and um, when we talked uh when we talked about queen victoria's coronation we, we touched briefly on vicky and her mm. wedding to uh fritz who was the at that point uh prince of prussia later became crown prince and very briefly emperor of germany and there was um a special verse that was written for their wedding um which began farewell fair england's flower 
Mm, and, mm, and mm. ended with God bless the prince and bride, long keep their lang- lands allied, God save the queen. So, oh, interesting. Yeah, so that so I so didn't know this. Yeah. And so there has been a tradition over the centuries of writing verses for particular occasions. And in fact, I do remember when the current prince and princess of Wales got married doing a company because I was on I, I used to do a, a regular slot on local radio at the time. Mm. And we did a competition to write a verse for their wedding. Oh, wonderful. I seem to remember. So, yeah, it it has been. So, in a way, it's slightly disappointing that that seems to have gone out of fashion, that we don't have verses of the National Anthem written for Mm. particular events or particular occasions any longer, because that would be a nice way of marking it. But then I suppose, you know, if it's like it was the coronation, it was difficult enough to get people to sing both verses who who were not, who didn't have the words in front of them. So I can see why it's not necessarily a wise thing, but I just think that would be something that would be, that would be lovely and be fitting for a particular occasion. Yes, I think so. I mean, I suppose the verses we've got at the moment, you know, God save our gracious King, long live our noble King. That's pretty generic and pretty universal. We're always going to want that. You send him victorious, happy, you know, but then when we go, I mean, the next verse two, which we do tend to, well, we, I mean, we don't tend to sing very often, do we, in, co- in terms of the vast majority of the population, but as you say, occasions, that's also kind of quite important because thy choicest gifts in store on him be pleased to pour long may he reign may he defend our laws and ever give us cause to sing with heart and voice god save the king you know may he defend our laws is a crucial part of what the role of monarchy still is and if you think about the state opening of parliament which is probably the only annual event when the king will appear in a parliamentary context or in time you see him wear his crown as well you see him wear his crown um you know that that's important you know that's that role of king in parliament to defend i'm going to sound american to say to defend the constitution because we we don't talk about it in that way but that's effectively what a constitutional monarchy does and i suppose those two verses have universal meaning which might be why they've stuck whereas rebellious scots to crush more controversial in a post-jacobean era (laughs) you know so we don't hear that one very often no so on Coronation Day itself, because this is where I admire you for doing this, partly because just the phenomenal effort of what I've called more or less, you know, sacrificing your basic needs to do it. But also, I'm guessing you don't really see very much. What do you actually see when you go and you do that? Well, you get the best view there is available. I mean, we did get a good view of the carriage procession. And because okay. we got there early, we were right at the front where the barriers were. So we were as close as you could get to all of mm, that. Mm, mm. So, um, and, but by this time it had started raining. And so we only, the thing that was slightly disappointing um, was that, you know, when the first procession went to the Abbey, mm. uh, the King and Queen left in the Diamond Jubilee State Coach, which of course, as the name suggests, was created for Queen Elizabeth II's Diamond Jubilee, although it was delivered mm. a couple of years later. And it's the one that she used for the state opening of Parliament for the last couple of times during her reign. And it's 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 a beautiful coach. If you get mm. the opportunity to go to the Royal News and see it, I would honestly recommend it. And it has all the mod cons. So it's got things like electric windows and it's got air conditioning and heating okay. and all of those things. And the suspension is much better. It's a much more comfortable ride. So anyway, so they left... Buckingham Palace and that but of course there was only the one carriage in the procession mm. it was that mm. carriage and because by this time it was raining my friend said to me he said is that all we've got is that all we're going to see mm. <laughs> and, he, and he actually said is it time 
yeah, can we have a gin and tonic now? I said, well, you know, you could, but should we not wait till lunchtime and then we can raise the toast to them? But, um, right. but it, it, but I must say, on the return, that was when you you did get okay. the best view of everything because there were four carriages in the procession. So you had the Golden State Coach, which mm. of course is. I mean, if you saw that documentary that, uh, that the late Queen took part in a few years ago about coronation, and she said it was a horrible ride and it was terribly uncomfortable, and it looks it mm. because you can mm. see its mm. way. Because it was the first time I'd actually seen anybody in it, although the last time it had been used was for the Queen's Golden Jubilee in 2002 when mm. she went to St Paul's Cathedral. I wasn't there that day. So I saw it last year in the Jubilee pageant because it had the hologram of her mm. uh, as she appeared at her coronation 70 years ago, waving in the window <laughs> but this time you actually saw the king and queen in there and they were wearing their crowns and so mm. that was it was a it was a fantastic moment it was mm. worth it mm. it was worth having gone just to be able to see that and of course the thing with the golden state coach is because it's very the suspension's bad it's very uncomfortable and because it is so heavy it can only be it has to have eight horses and it can only be driven wow. to walking pace and so mm. Actually, the uh, the bands had to play at a slower tempo than they normally would for marching because that coach can only go at a slower pace. Mm, um, but mm, it did mean that it took about, I'd say, 15 to 20 seconds to pass. And so you did get a, a great view of mm, them um, and, quite, and quite close. And so it was worth it just to be able to see the king and queen in their crowns on Coronation Day in the Golden State cool. Coach. And then, of course, the following that, there was the Australian, uh, sorry, the Diamond Jubilee State Coach with the Prince mm -hmm. and Princess of Wales and the children. Uh, yeah. Following that, the Australian State Coach. So all coach. three, was Louis in there as well? Yes, Prince Louis was in there as well. Um, I had the Princess of Wales and Princess Charlotte nearest to where oh. I was. Um, but you could see all three children uh, and the Prince of Wales in there as well. And then in the next carriage was the Australian State Coach with the Duke and Duchess of Edinburgh mm. and uh, Law and... The Earl of Wessex and, and Lady Louise uh, in there. And then in the next carriage, there was the Duke and Duchess of Gloucester and Sir Timothy Lawrence. And I must say, the Duchess of Gloucester looked fantastic on Coronation mm. Day. I know not, we've not... not seen much of her in recent years, have we, particularly? No, no. Um, and for whatever reason, I mean, she, she has done a few things that we've seen. So um, she is a patron of... Um, uh, the uh, prostate cancer charity and so she did a a, a podcast with mike tyndall uh, a little while oh, ago right right so we've seen we have seen things like that mm. that she's done but no she's not been as high profile the last few years but i thought she looked fantastic on coronation day mm, i agree she was, like all of the uh the royal ladies that were wearing their full i mean she was wearing her mantle of the royal victorian order but mm. she'd also got like the other royal ladies the, the spray of of uh, flowers in the hair or silk flowers mm, mm. Uh, and you know beautiful style gray hair with the, the white silk flowers she looked fantastic on coronation and she looked mm, so mm. happy she was beaming i managed to get a lovely photograph of her as she passed mm. uh, and so to be able to be there and see all of that but I mean, it's not just all of that as well you know you've got the atmosphere you've got the bands playing you've got all the um the, the troops marching and and troops from all parts of the commonwealth as well mm. you know so seeing i don't know like the gurkhas and the mounties and all mm. of that all mm. adds mm. to all the the spectacle and the atmosphere the only thing was slightly disappointing was the weather because it was it wasn't raining heavily so it didn't impact on, on tv you didn't get the sense the weather was no. bad particularly it wasn't that bad it wasn't but but it did just mean that it it sort of dampened it slightly mm. in as much as if it's a bright sunny day 
it everything reflects so much better and mm, mm. you know it's so but it was it, it was really fantastic to be able to see all of that and so I would say it was well worth going and and you know sacrificing your comfort for the, the mm. evening and the night to then be able to get the best view that you could on on coronation day and of the procession and I must say I think that one thing which was blown out of all proportion at this coronation, I would not in any way call this a catastrophe, but I do mm. think that the, the supposed outcry when people were asked if they wanted to join in. Oh, the, for crying uh, out loud. Well, oh, because the reason that I... That made I, my blood boil. Well, uh, me too. And the reason I say that is because it's a choice. People mm. could choose whether they wanted to say the words or not. They were, nobody was being forced into it. Nobody was being mm. coerced into it. It wasn't a case of, you know, if you if you do not say this, we'll send the police round. It was not a case of, if mm. you don't say this, you can no longer be a citizen of the, of the United Kingdom. Mm. It was, mm. if you choose to take part in the oath, then then by all means do let's, it. And let's break this to... down a bit. We've, we've jumped into the middle of something. Let's break this down a bit for people. So explain explain what the controversy was and what the oath is and what the controversy was. So at the coronation, the congregation in the Abbey, are after the King has taken his oath to govern the peoples of the United Kingdom of Great Britain, Northern Ireland and of his other realms, he he takes this and then the congregation are so first you had the prince of wales who paid his homage to his yep. father now this has changed a lot over the years so I if know. you remember when we talked about queen victoria's coronation you had yep. every peer who was present paying homage and so we talked about lord roll and how when he had mm -hmm. gone to pay homage he was what was he 82 i think at the time and so was quite steady on his feet and so had fallen down and and the Queen picked him up and said that he could pay homage. Now, at Victoria's coronation, there was a bit of a controversy because before then, all of the peers had kissed the monarch on the cheek mm. as well mm. as as well as the hand. Um, but at her coronation, she said that she didn't, she wasn't comfortable with mm. a lot of elderly men kissing her on her cheek, and so it was only the royal dukes that kissed her on the cheek, and the mm. others nearly kissed her hand. And so that carried on into the coronations in the 20th century but the number of people that would pay homage has gradually reduced so it then became by the time of Elizabeth II's coronation 1953 you had the royal duke so there was the duke of Edinburgh yeah. of course her husband the duke of Gloucester her uncle and the duke of Kent her cousin mm. who paid homage by kissing her on on the cheek uh, and kneeling before her uh, to pay homage and then you had a, the senior representative of each grade. Of the highest the one from each tree. So the most senior Duke yes. in England, which is, of course, the Duke of Norfolk. Yes. The most senior Marquess. Who... Now, did they do it for the most senior in England or the most senior in the UK? I think it's well, the most senior I... in England. That's contro now, controversial, isn't it? Well, I th well, yes, but of course, the English orders are older. But not the... than the Scottish. That's why it's controversial. No, no, not than the Scottish, but I mean, than the ones that were created either of Great Britain or of the United Kingdom. Yeah, so, of course. Yes, yes, yes. So yeah. That's why I'm, I'm not actually certain whether it was of England or whether it was... I think know, this is the problem. The so in the order of precedence, so take a Duke. Your Dukes of England all rank first, then Dukes of Scotland, mm. then Dukes of Great Britain, then Dukes of the United Kingdom, which makes sense every look is all about age yes. date of creation and they all yes. and the, the most senior one is the oldest created of each of those degrees so that all flows logically because all the dukes of england were obviously made before 1707 i.e before the union then we have 
the Kingdom of Great Britain. They're all made before 1801, and thereafter get the peerage of the United Kingdom. The problem was always that the Scottish dukes or earls or marquesses ranked below, and still do, the rank that those of the respective England. Well, that is clearly contentious and unhelpful in a world where we're trying to stitch the union together. Not that any people actually know about this other than basically you and me, but nevertheless, it's not a good sign. And really what they should do is they should treat whichever Duke has the oldest title as being more senior rather than whether they're from England, the peerage of England or the peerage of Scotland. After 1707, it don't matter, but it does matter in those earlier stages and i think that's we'll talk a little bit more about why you know the the the, the homage of the peerage and why that wasn't here and how we feel about that but yeah so going back to your point but basically elizabeth ii had a skinny down version of the homage because she just had one peer from each of the five degrees duke and they didn't kiss her on the the cheek they did only kiss her hand Uh, quite right too i mean it's quite an intimate thing isn't it kissing on the cheek yes it is especially if it's people that you know you you don't know it's different it's members of your family really let my, I don't let my other half kiss me on the cheek once a week i mean it's quite an intimate thing I just, you know, some people prefer physical contact more than others i suppose but i can understand why victoria did not want like 800 old men kissing her on the cheek no no and so yeah so as we were saying elizabeth ii was then the most senior uh yeah of each grade of the peerage who paid homage well of course at this coronation we didn't have the the peerage represented in the same way and so therefore the only person that paid homage to the king was the prince of wales mm. and so and you know there are probably reasons for that um which right you know, there, there's a very the obvious part. reason why the royal dukes were not asked to take part in that yes there is a rather obvious uh reason um or rather two obvious reasons yes um, so, and we'll talk about them when we talk about where they were seated as well okay but um, so the only person that, that paid homage in person like that was the Prince of Wales. And so And the Archbishop of Canterbury. And the Archbishop of Canterbury. And so there were other so the other co- members of the congregation in the Abbey took part in a, a sort of so you know if you're so this is a, a great difference between sort of Anglican and Roman Catholic rites as well. So if you think right. in if you're a Roman Catholic, you would have the confession that you would have the confession singularly. You would go to a priest and you would make your confession and then you'd be absolved. Got you. And yeah, you would yeah. name the sins that you had, that you'd done throughout the week um, to the priest and it'd be in private and then you'd receive your absolution. Mm. Whereas if you're an Anglican, you would go and as part of the service, you will you will recite the words that you know, you're sorry for all the things that you've done and sorry for the, the things that you've not done that you should have done. Mm. And then the, the vicar or whoever will will pronounce the absolution, but it'll be done corporate, you know, done for everybody mm, in that congregation. Mm, mm, mm. So it, in a similar way here, they were being asked to pay homage to the king by, you know, en masse, uh, by reading out the, the words that were in the service sheet. And what had happened is that the Archbishop of Canterbury had announced in advance that people, anybody, would be able to to do this because mm. the order of service had been made available. So anybody, you know, whether you were in the mall or whether you were sat watching it in the comfort of your own home, or if you've gone to a cinema that was screening it, or uh, into a, a town centre where there was a screening, mm. you could take part if you chose to. But of course, some people took great offence mm. at that, be saying, you know, they were being forced to do it, and how awful. Well, nobody was being forced. You didn't no, have to say it if you didn't it- want to. It was the way I think some people have criticized the way that um, Lambeth rather than Buckingham Palace, as in i.e. the church press office, managed the comms around that because there was a bit of, oh, we're inviting you to take part as in inviting you 
arguably being seen to be a very well, I don't know what the word would be, but in inviting being suggesting a degree of expectation. Hmm. But no, I mean, I completely, I mean, the idea was it was more democratic. So rather than having, as it would have been in previous generations, us being represented by the peerage, our over, yes. we'd get to yes. pay homage directly. But yes. It was completely chosen and misinterpreted by those who were always going to misinterpret something on the day, maybe not helped by some not brilliant comms from Lambeth Palace. Although, you know, I don't really blame them for it. There's a lot going on. No, but having said that, I do think that people who were who looking to take offence would have taken offence no matter how it had been communicated. Of I course, that, of course. You know, that's course. just the nature of the of the beast isn't it that if you are if you are opposed to something then you yes. will look for any way of finding fault um yes. with with anything that that they do and that's fine i mean and we all do it so i you know it would be wrong of us to sit here and criticize because i'm sure that you and i would do it about other uh subjects you know much as i try to be a fair-minded person i mm. know that i i lose that facility at certain points so you know, I well, don't. Well, I, I think that's. I think that's well. true. I think that's true to an extent. I think that some people, I do. I mean, I agree with you in the sense we all have these sort of unconscious ways of interpreting situations around what we already believe. I certainly believe in that. I think that in the run up to this day, there are a group of people who are absolutely determined to spoil it for as many people as possible and didn't care about how people felt about that and i actually don't think oh well it's just legitimate yeah it's it is you are absolutely right to have your view but you know if you really have your view the monarchy is wrong why not actually put some work in why not actually stand candidates in elections quote for it see if you can get any votes actually go out there and knock on doors rather than just criticize everyone for having a fun day i just yeah and i just think that if you are so opposed to something like that don't spoil it for everyone else you know because there are a lot of people and i don't just mean people who are very interested in in the monarchy like you and i would be Mm. but there are a lot of people who just saw it as an exciting day a festival day and Mm. so just wanted to take part and enjoy it and so that's what i think of just people coming together and it was such a i mean maybe we should i mean we've as ever we've just sort of chatted and chatted but maybe we should sort of of say right you know what do we feel the impact of the day was because i think it was just a very positive day of celebration of 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 an inclusive diverse society coming together under the banner of something we could unite behind what did you think yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I think that's a, I think that's a very good description of it. I think that it shows that, you know, and yes, there are poll after poll about how popular the monarchy is. And certainly since the king's accession, there's been a succession of polls. But I think that, you know, having been there on the day and having seen just the th- hundreds of thousands of people that turned out to be able to see and, you know, bear in mind, I've been there since, you know, the day before and there have been people there, you know, a lot longer. And so we managed to get a good view at the front. There were people, you know, 20, 25 deep who would have seen very little, but wanted to be there mm, just mm. to experience it. And so, you know, when you look at that, it obviously meant something to that mm. number of people that they chose to be there, even though they knew they wouldn't get a great view of anything because mm. they wanted to take part. They wanted to be there. They wanted to experience it. And so just having that opportunity I think that that shows to me that the link between crown and people is as strong as it ever was it changes of course because it, it, it is redefined in every age and every not just every reign but I mean every generation will view it slightly differently so you know the people that will view the king now 
we'll view it in a different way to say those who had lived through the Second World War and had the, that bond between his with his grandparents, George VI and Queen Elizabeth, who mm-hmm. you know, because they stayed in London, they didn't leave. Yeah, you know, so it, you know it changes, and I think it changes with the character of the monarch. But essentially, I think that that link is is still there and just as as strong as uh, it ever was. I agree. I mean, my basic view on people, a few people have asked me recently, particularly if I did Q&As on Instagram and stuff, do you think the monarchy will be here in 100 years' time? And obviously it's impossible to know, although I think it will be. But there's two major things um, that I think keep the monarchy going. One is that there's a huge group of us who think it's fantastic and think it's a great opportunity. Now, some of us, that's very emotional and we feel very connected to the monarchy. For others, it's more about what it does for Britain on the world stage, the fact it makes us quite unique, the fact it it helps keep our history alive. Then there's a whole other group of people, maybe even bigger, who just think, I'd have to be really motivated to in any way consider being bothered to change it. And why would I want to have a president and yet another politician? And that does not appeal to me at all. And it would have to, something would have to go pretty bloody wrong for me to really get that motivation to want to be like that and i think that for with charles and camilla's coronation what we've seen is both a a point for those of us that really love this to come together but also a kind of reassurance to people who are not maybe quite where we are but know that they need to work very hard to to really bother thinking about anything else to think actually there's quite a lot of good in this and What's the problem? Let's let this go on. Yes, I agree. And I think as well that people just enjoy these occasions as well. Mm. The coronation, the jubilees that we've had in recent years, it is something that brings communities together. And it's something that you know, even people who are not particularly interested in the royal family mm. do enjoy watching on the television because mm. it's something that is joyous and it's exciting and it's mm. part of history. And so even if you're not a great supporter of monarchy, you know, you're you're largely indifferent, mm. a lot of people will still choose to watch that because they because they find it enjoyable to watch, not necessarily because they're as emotionally mm. invested. And so I think that there'd have to be something seismic for mm. that to change. You know, you'd mm. have to look at you know the fall of the the European monarchies at the end of the First World War, for example, something on that scale. Yes, I think to, yes. to look at wholesale change um, in in I, the future. I, I agree. I, I completely agree, and I think that I understand why those who are anti-monarchy know this is their moment. I understand that they knew that the death of the Queen wasn't a great moment for obvious reasons, and that this was their yes. their best shot. Yes, and I must say, I didn't object to people wanting to protest at the coronation in the same way that I did around her lying in state. Yes, yes, I agree. Because I, I, you know, I I do believe that people have the right to protest, but I do think that funerals and the lying in state I would include as part of the funeral. Yes. That is for saying goodbye to loved ones. Mm, And mm. the Queen was loved by not just her own Mm. family, but people throughout the nation and throughout the world, throughout the Commonwealth, Mm. throughout the world. And so I think that that is not the time to be airing those political views mm, because mm, it, it's mm. emotions are too raw and it is i think it's very disrespectful not only not just of that person but and not because she was the queen but because she was she was a human being mm, mm, and mm. because she was somebody who was loved and respected by so many people that i think that that was the wrong time so i think I that agree. then so i so that's why i i take a more relaxed view 
about protesting around around these yes. events than, uh, than I would have there because I, there, I thought that was very wrong. I believe people, and it all comes down to what you believe a protest is, I believe people do have right to protest. I do not believe people have right to disrupt. So yes. I, and I know there's been criticism of the police and maybe they were overzealous in some arrests, but can you imagine the backlash the police would have got from the country, if not the world, if they'd allowed anything to go wrong now i'm not always sympathetic to the police but in this instance i have been quite sympathetic and supportive because if they'd let anything go wrong and they clearly there were supposedly hundreds of protesters there well they didn't arrest hundreds did they they arrested a small handful well and then maybe they got that wrong i think they'd estimated that they were expecting around ooh, uh 1300 I, I think was the right. the estimate um, but one thing I will say, I mean, I, I could not see because you know, the main protesters were around Trafalgar Square. Mm. Now, I have encountered them at, at other events that I've been to. So I saw them at the Royal Normandy service in York. I also saw them at Commonwealth Day at Westminster Abbey. And I do think the amount of coverage that they got was was rather disproportionate on both those occasions mm-hmm. because I saw headlines saying how they disrupted the mm. service and neither occasion did was anything actually disrupted because the King, Queen, the other members of the royal family had got out of their cars, went into... Uh, into either the Abbey or to York Minster mm. came out and left in just the same way as they would have mm. done anyway so I don't see how anything was was disrupted um, in the same way that last year I went to um, I was lucky enough to get tickets to go to Garter Day at Windsor and there uh, there had been protests because uh, Tony Blair was being awarded the Garter um, but of course Which those was protests... ridiculous by the way well Can I just say that was a ridiculous protest as well, well this is what annoys me about everyone the, in the world yeah the reason <laughs> I would say that was the reason I would say that was ridiculous was because I saw headlines saying again that they had disrupted the the procession and everything they were outside the the precincts of of windsor castle you know they were outside the gates yeah we're near so then when you see headlines saying how something has been disrupted you think well i was there i know you know nothing changed nothing happened um so there was that but one thing i will say is that on coronation day itself i didn't mm. see all of those protests around Trafalgar square so i can't really say anything about that because i didn't i you know i've not got any first-hand experience of it but in the mall near where i was police took off to protesters who did appear to be disruptive and as the police were taking them away people Mm. started booing them and I thought my goodness we can't have this because people people will Mm. think that they're booing the king Mm. that they're unhappy with that so I shouted out in a loud voice god save the king and of course these other people started joining in I thought that was marvelous that's brilliant well done you used that situation because whether they you know I, I can't really make a judgment whether they were right to have been cast off or not um I think I can but I can't say oh no I mean I couldn't see I couldn't I couldn't see close enough what was it because there were so many people around I couldn't see that but what I will say is that it to have had people booing them like that would have one been negative and two it could have been misinterpreted it looks like people booing the police as well doesn't either it? the police or, or the king or whatever and so that's why i i thought you need to do something quick to make it well done you more positive well, that's really, so yeah. That's, yeah so that's and so that that just came into my mind and i and i i did that so i will i will claim that one no that's that's a really that. that's a really brilliant thing to do and it and it brings it back to the positive but all right so let's talking about um the coronation yes what do you think were the, the the star moments or the highlights of the coronation, the bits they really got right, the bits that were, you know, good and we expect them to be the bits that are unexpectedly good? Well, I think we've spoken about some of them already. So for me, it, it had to be, you know, being there, seeing the carriage procession, mm-hmm. um, seeing all of that, because I do think that not just the members of the royal family and the carriages, but, you know, the whole 
pomp and circumstance around it, the whole marching bands mm. and, and all of that, that is a marvellous atmosphere. And of course, now <laughs> they could all start immediately at the same moment, mm. which whereas before that would have been more difficult to do. But now you've got better communications, you can you can do that. And so it really was a great sight. Mm. Um, and I would say as well, the excitement when they came out onto the balcony in their crowns. Again, that was that was it. Mm. Um, in the Abbey itself, again, we've spoken about the the anointing and about the the screen. I think that that having seen that back, mm. yes, I know people complained that they couldn't see the anointing, but I think that that again was visually a very mm. wonderful moment to to behold. And I think as well, just seeing the coronation regalia in use, because mm. you know, as, as mm. you know, and as we've discussed, it's. I've always been interested in in the royal jewellery and the history mm, behind those mm. stones. And so You're be much to, better at that than I am. Well, one thing I will say is that seeing Queen Camilla's crown and seeing the Cullen and Diamonds in it, because they were so personally associated with Queen Elizabeth II. So the Cullen Diamond was the largest stone, the largest diamond that was ever found. Uh, was found in Edward VII's reign and was presented to him. Didn't keep all of it, but then the other pieces did. It was a mm. huge stone. It was cut into nine numbered stones and then smaller chips and so the first of the Cullinan diamonds is placed in the imperial in in the um in the scepter in the sovereign scepter mm. and then the second stone is in the imperial state crown at the front of the imperial state crown so that was first seen at a coronation yeah. 1911 because before then the Stuart sapphire was at the front so now that's at the back and so um, they are known together as the greater stars of Africa. The lesser stars of Africa are stones two, uh, are stones three and four, and they're mm -hmm. normally seen in brooch form. And Queen Elizabeth II wore that on very few occasions during her reign because they are huge stones. She wore them last for her, well, in public at her Diamond Jubilee uh, service, but she did wear them twice more at events at Buckingham Palace. So we mm -hmm. talked a little bit earlier when she took part in a documentary, was talking about how uncomfortable the Golden State coat was. She yes, was for that. Um, but she also wore it for the state visit of the King and Queen of the Netherlands in 2018. Oh. And the reason she wore that was because it was actually cut and polished in in the Netherlands in Amsterdam. And so that's I why see. she wore right, it right, right. Um, And so, and then the fifth stone is a heart-shaped stone, which is in a scroll work brooch, mm -hmm. which is something that the late Queen wore almost not exactly every day because she wore lots of brooches but one she wore regularly mm -hmm. to lots of occasions and we all have seen pictures of where it, she wore it for princess eugenie's wedding uh, i if i seem to remember but lots of occasions during the day mm -hmm. and so all so those three the cullinans three four and five were placed in queen camilla's crown and the reason for that was that so the coming was taken out and still rests in Queen Elizabeth Queen Mother's crown, which is mm -hmm. on display. Um, now, there is precedent for this because, you know, before 1937, it was the uh, tradition that Queen Dowagers or Queen Mothers never attended the yes, coronation of their successors. Queen Mary. Queen Mary. Measure of support. The application, measure of support for her son. And of course, it seems really incongruous that we say this about Queen Mary because Queen Mary was a great traditionalist, wasn't she? Mm, yes. Mm, mm. She broke that precedent. Um, and attended George, this is what was George so VI good about George V and Queen Mary, because I personally believe that that Queen Mary was quite instrumental to George V's modernising successes, mm -hmm. is they were such believers of tradition, they knew when tradition needed to evolve, yes. which is the best kind of, dare I say, it, that's the best kind of what conservatism with a small c is, mm -hmm. a recognition of the evolution of traditions and institutions, yes. 
not always are, are going back to the past. No, and also you will say, no, so if you saw with the investiture of the Prince of Wales in 1911, of course, that mm. was done at Carnarvon with all the traditional costumes that one would expect. But of course, it was it was entirely a, a new creation. Entirely, entirely. I mean, people did have, I mean, Arthur, who I've written a book about, did have an investiture. Have you written a book about Arthur, Prince I know, of Wales? I know, it's one of those things. I don't like to mention it, James, if I'm honest. But yes, he had investors. You know what your problem is, Gareth? You are too modest. I know, I know. I'm working on. I'm seeing a therapist. Just trying to, just trying to like get my inner voice out. You know, just stop hiding my light behind a bushel. Anyway, oh, for anybody who's not heard, Gareth Streeter has written a book, Arthur, Prince of Wales, Henry VIII's lost brother. You see, I remembered the, the you did. title. Thank you. I couldn't remember the title last time, could I? No, no, we drinking then. But no, the but you're right. He had a he had an he had a creation ceremony as Prince of Wales, but it was in um Westminster. Yeah, so behind palace walls, it confines. And, and, the and it was no real different to the creation ceremony for an earl, or there was nothing no. No. there was certainly nothing Welsh about it. Whereas, of course, what, what Edward the Seventh onwards they do is they invent. They invent these ancient ceremonies effectively. Yes. Same yes. thing of Parliament to to an extent. To an extent. Well, yes, because of course the state of Parliament had had fallen out of use during Queen Victoria's reign. She yes. hasn't attended yes, yeah. for so many years. Uh, you know, she attended a handful of times after Prince Albert died, and so of course by 1902, when uh, 1901 even, because it was carried out just a, a month after Queen Victoria had died, mm. they you know reinvent the tradition and so yes. it is it is done on a much more lavish scale than it had been even before mm. although of course at the earliest of queen victoria's when she used to attend the uh, prerog uh, prerogation of parliament which right was, really no that was done in in person in, in i the didn't know that reign. yes it was well, that's never happened since then has it no no it hasn't so so again you know it's something that evolves and i can understand it. why because i i think because the pro pro I can never say it. Prorogation of Parliament is a, quite a political thing, isn't it? So yes. it could be associated with the monarchy with that, and certainly with the dissolution as well. It's about general elections. It's it's about something yes. in high politics, which wasn't wasn't in quite the same way in Queen Victoria's day and no. her early days, at least. No, before the no. Great Reform Act. Yes, uh, and so going back to Queen Mary, so she attended the coronation oh. in 1937. But of course, because the Koh-i-Noor was in Queen Elizabeth's crown, and she wore this, and remember that Queen consorts never wear the full crown with the arches after the coronation day. They, mm, or if mm. they choose to wear it again, they'll just wear the circlet portion. So it looks mm. like a tiara, although yeah. it is actually a full circlet, which encircles the head rather than a tiara, mm. uh, which doesn't generally, although some do, but not usually. And so she had the heart-shaped Cullinan five brooch inserted in the, in the centre of her circlet. And so mm. the, that same circlet was used with you know, with the arches refurbished for Queen Camilla. So actually, in wearing the Cullen and Five brooch as part of that, it was actually honouring the tradition that Queen Mary had started in 1937. Oh. Uh, but also the other two um, Cullen and Diamonds, the, the Cullen and Three and Cullen and Four, were also mm. included in Queen Camilla's crown. And so I thought that was marvellous because those stones were obviously didn't originate with Elizabeth II, mm. but she wore them with regularity throughout her reign that people associate them with her. And so I think that that was, was lovely mm. that, the symbolism of her being there was mm. uh, and of course in the mall there were some you know people had got sort of cardboard cutouts and things mm. and there was one of her of elizabeth ii saying you know good luck son or, or whatever mm -hmm. and uh, i thought that was charming I, i'm not sure i would have done it but i thought it was char you know the sentiment behind Did it you? that's interesting i'm never sure how i feel about all that sort of stuff no well i i don't particularly like it and as I say, it's not something I would have done myself, but I think mm. that 
the way in which people had done it it was obviously done with a with a great affection for mm, her mm. and so yes, i think that yes. that means it's difficult then to disapprove when it when it's being done with such a you know, you know it's being done with a good and a kind heart i certainly don't disapprove i guess whenever because you see this sort of stuff on social media a lot in terms of meme culture yes where it has a very emotional kind of what's i don't quite know what the word i'm looking for is but there's a very high emotion kind of so which i almost was slightly intruding on the royal family's own personal family dynamic mm. which is kind yes. of theirs like charles yes. saying i feel my mother's is quite a i feel that's for them and not for us i agree with you and i think it is a very personal thing isn't it I, you know in the same way that you wouldn't want anybody to try and tell you what the dynamic is in your own family mm, mm, you know that, that because you know we never see ourselves as others do do we you know and no. so you know people would look at our relationship say with our parents or whatever and and, and you know, would would have a very would have a particular image of it but it isn't mm. necessarily the truth you know you, mm, mm, mm. you know, you're, that, that's you know, right yeah, and so that's right. you know, it, your experience will be very different from the experience that that somebody else yeah. labelled you with, and so therefore, I think that that's why I think that you're right. And I think, you know, as I say, it was something that I wouldn't have done. But I, but having said that, I think that the reason that people did that was because they still have such affection for her and wanted. I agree. I wanted agree. to I, see, you know, it, yeah. see the coronation as as the baton being passed on rather than yes. any any rather than trying to make judgments like that I, I, no no you know, no I, I, think, I completely agree I, I think, I'm, I'm just very judgmental and I think one of the things that I do I do overthink things but I think on this occasion it's one of those things that's probably worth not overthinking I think it is just something you are right no no you are right and, charming and ultimately um, people have the right to as long as they're being broadly positive I think you know it's 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 a nice thing people do and the you I completely agree this the sentiment is entirely positive it's not yeah, no, no, I agree. Well, no, because just... if you look, for example, one of the things that, um, you know, it's Queen Victoria's Diamond Jubilee. I wasn't and... there, but yes. No, but you know, when Queen Victoria had her Diamond Jubilee in 1897. Yes, I do. Yeah. Uh, it was said, and uh, and I will hold my hands up and say that, um, although I have checked that it, it, it did actually happen. Um, you know, when we were talking about Queen Victoria, we talked about one of my favourite historical dramas was Edward VII. And it yes, showed yes, yeah. Queen yeah. Um, and so Annette Crosby was talking, as Queen Victoria was talking to Vicky, who's played by Felicity Kendall. Mm. And she's telling the story about how when they were driving into the castle one day, that she heard a voice cry out above the others, go it, old girl. And one would expect mm. Queen Victoria to be rather shocked about this. But of course she said, I rather liked that. He had such a friendly ring to it. Mm. And actually that was something that did happen. I did look yes. it up afterwards. And Queen Victoria did actually find that rather charming. And so I think it's Victoria the same. Victoria did like thing. informality. That yeah, was and so I, I think it's the same sort of thing, isn't yes. it? It's, it's showing that, you know, that because I always used to describe when I was asked uh, Elizabeth II as being the mother of the nation. Mm. And I think that that, that shows in that the way in which people yes saw her with affection see the king with that that same kind of a different type of, of affection because he's a different person and he's mm. and he's a different generation but still that same type of oh affection i agree that one I sees agree. and so i think that you know i think that that is something that's very charming and and something that seems to mm. to go on from generation to generation um but no they were they were my my real highlights but of course i think you know having looked at the coronation back the moment of crowning because mm. there is nothing i think you know you call me sad for saying this but i think you know you can feel the the hairs on the back of your neck stand on end mm. no i agree when I you agree. see something like that you know it is it is something which is i think 
when I say emotional, I don't want to make it sound as like floods of tears or anything like that. But I mean, you, you feel a sense of emotion, a sense of mm. a historical occasion. This is something which is happening. He is now king. And mm. so to be able to, to see that and to participate in it in a small way, mm. I think was, mm. was actually very, very oh, special. I, I agree. And I, and I think for you being there, um, although weirdly, I and other people saw that before you, in yes. some ways you were you were more part part of it well, we did hear way. it and there was a great cheer in the crowd because oh, we knew lovely, that he'd yeah. been crowned so yeah, it was something it was a moment that we all shared and it was like mm-hmm. it was almost like a mexican wave you know you could yeah, feel yeah, yeah, yeah. it yeah. go right through the mouth and so that that was very exciting and of course um now just to to move on a little bit mm. from some of the you know from all the the i don't want to say well from all the positives Mm. There were there were a couple of issues. I mean, there was um, uh, the Bishop of Chelmsford was quoted right. as, saying, uh, as saying that there were one or two hiccups during the coronation service. I mean, not literally, because that would not have been that would not have been easy if you were trying mm. to you were trying to take the oath, would it? But um, yeah. <laughs> no. But um, but there were you know, and one of the things was that was that was noted in in the article that I wrote that I read rather was about the adjustment of St Edward's crown by the Archbishop, mm. uh, you know, wanting to make it sure it was in the right place and fitted properly. Well, mm. of course, you know, people who are in the know, that's nothing to what happened in 1937. Well, quite, quite. Where, where when you look at that and you see the Archbishop mm. had, you know, there'd been a piece of cotton put in, but it had been mislaid. So the, the Archbishop was never sure mm. uh, whether, you know, because if you look at the footage tonight, they say he looks at the crown one way, tries it the other way, puts it mm. back again. And the king was convinced that it was on the wrong way round. Mm. So, mm. you know, there was nothing to that. I mean, uh, yes, the Archbishop did make sure that it, it fitted correctly, but, but I don't think that was sensible, surely. Yes. So I wouldn't count that as anything. Where I do think they might have more of a point was at the crowning of Queen Camilla where yes. if you saw there was a bit of a discussion and she was moving her you know her hair yeah, yeah. Uh, and then that was that was moved a bit more and so I think there was you know that went on a bit longer there was a bit more of an adjustment I wouldn't I wouldn't in any way call that a catastrophe but mm. I do think that you know if you were making a case for the the moment of crowning being yes. what a moment but could but, but just think it this way for the poor archbishop and for the people looking after the queen's hair and crown the far bigger catastrophe would have been it falling off or do you know exactly. what i mean or something else exactly. happening exactly. what can you i mean what can you it's quite a weird thing because even if i was wearing a hat i mean all right uh, admittedly i'm not a posh lady that gets dressed by people for big events but no, you don't. Well, even wearing a hat no i'm not i'm not that's not how i identify but even if like someone else put a hat on me I'd feel that's weird. I've got to jiggle that about till it fits the way I want it to. Mm. So, but it's also a blooming heavy crown on you. Well, that's why the late Queen always used to adjust her own tiara. Right, right. Because, well, it, because it was more, I mean, she had someone else there, but she would in, she would do that adjustment yeah. herself because she would know how it felt on her own head. Exactly. And she was so exactly. used to doing it that, exactly. that she knew where it had to sit and where it would be mm. comfortable. Um, and indeed, you know, it was always said that um, Diana, Princess of Wales, had a headache on her wedding day because the tiara was uncomfortable right so, right well there you she, go she was not used to wearing it. i mean you know, she was 20 at the time wasn't used to wearing a tiara 
but no, if, of course. if you had been used to to doing it and to wearing it then you would you would know how to adjust it and where mm. it is best to sit on the head yes and, and on your head particularly well, that's the yes. thing and of course you know elizabeth ii was heard to say that she was lucky with wearing the imperial state crown although it was heavy she and her father had just about the same shaped head mm. and so mm. it just stayed in place it remained so mm. That's and, and of course the the crown was refurbished in 1937 for her father uh, and for her only the the arches were loaded. Actually, I was uh, sort of digressing slightly. Um, I did wonder whether the arches might have been raised for the king, but don't appear to have been. No, because, it, uh, because they were lowered for uh, Elizabeth II, 1953, because she was she was uh, a young woman and very slight. Mm. Um, so that's why you know the arches. The king's were, not were big in. though. The king's no, not a big not, man. No, he's not, not tall, and he's not. Well, the Prince of Wales is obviously a taller, bigger man, but the, the king's not really. Not particularly, no, no. Um, so no, so I, I, I would discount that as you know, in, on the mm. catastrophe scale because I don't think it, it went uh, that went badly at all. Um, but and we've been skirting around the issue. I think we ought to, you know, we ought to go straight in now and, and look at. Look at the seating plan. The seating plan. Can I just say one thing before we go to the seating plan? Because I think we should. So one thing I was worried about during the ceremony is after the Queen had been crowned. Yes. And she was walking down, there was a bit of nerves and there was a bit of, um, I think, understandable pride in her husband and joy. And she was smiling quite a lot. Now, you don't normally see the royal smile. And it was a lovely, beautiful, beaming smile. And I, I just thought it was it was fantastic yes. and wonderful to see. But my immediate worry when I was watching it was people are going to say, because as we know, the views of Camilla are what they are in certain circles. People are going to say, oh, she's looking like the cat that got the cream. You know, she's finally, after all these years, she's finally got her moment. And now she's going to be, that, that's a, the, yeah. the smile of a crowing woman. And I and I knew it wasn't that, but I was so, but actually that didn't seem to occur. That didn't seem to leap out on social media. And I was quite relieved. No, it didn't. Although there are, you know, there is a certain hardcore out there who, yeah. you know, if, if one ever listens to those types of, of podcasts or mm. other, see on social media, there are those constant references to the king being an adulterer and to her being a side piece and to be you know, dancing on Diana's grave and all of mm. those types of things. And I just, oh, it does frustrate me because I just think that was 30 odd years ago. Yeah, yeah. Things have Life's moved complicated. on. And the thing that does amaze me actually, talking about the, you know, talking about religiosity and symbolism. Mm. That a lot of these people are actually very religious and will talk about, you know, so we'll want to, a lot of these are, and I'm not saying it's exclusive, but are, are supporters of uh, the Duke and Duchess of Sussex. And so they will pray for them and they'll pray for their supporters and all of this. And I think in all of this, have you lost the doctrine of forgiveness? Uh, and not judging. Well, yes. And not judge, gossiping. Not judged. And yeah. yeah, but, you know, and so that, that does frustrate me and I also think that you would have to go a long way to be able to criticise Queen Camilla for her behaviour not only as Queen Consort but since she became a member of the royal family. I agree I completely agree I mean you and, and I, I both agree I, on that. You know I just think that if you're going to judge people judge them on what you know of them judge mm, them on what mm, you've mm. seen of them judge them on their actions and you know I just think that 
that that I I must admit that does really frustrate me. I time. agree. I I feel I feel the same way about that, and I think most people. I think I think the queen, the current queen, has earned most people's trust. Some more begrudgingly than others, and of course, some will never feel that way about her, and they don't have to. So, James, you're keen to talk about the seating plan, I understand. Well, I wouldn't say keen to talk about it, but I would say that it wouldn't be honest of us to give an assessment of the <laughs> coronation if we didn't. Of course, it's not just the seating either. It's also the uh, the the uniforms and the ceremonial, I think, because mm. it's all included together, isn't it? I think that the, the seating plan in the Abbey was very skillfully and artfully done. Um, that you had the working members of the royal family on the first on the first three rows, mm. and then you had you know the um, the other members of the royal family who are not working members of the royal family mm. further back. Let's go say. just to take one geeky point. People, I often think about precedents mm. where we all know there's an order of precedents. Yes. Well, actually, there's not, but in any situation, people are given precedents over anyone else. Yes. Uh, people sometimes tend to assume this is a very formulaic thing where the rules are very clear. Actually, there is no, in any one place, written down, officially sanctioned order of precedence. The lists we find are by very clever people's observations of what seems to be standard practice. Yes, and they draw and a list we, from it. And what we do see, actually, when we see it listed, say, for an event, say, for a procession of state banquet or something like that, mm. They are written for that particular occasion. Exactly. Rather than this is set in stone Ex and this is what will happen. Exactly. So, for example, you know, if you look at the Queen's 90th birthday mm -hmm. service at St Paul's Cathedral, the Princess Royal arrived with Princess Alexandra. And right. so you yeah. expected them to have arrived together, but they did. And exactly. So, therefore, things like that are fluid. They do move. They're far fluid. People They're situational. And, and why I always try and tell people is presidents exist all around us so for example when i was a kid me and my sister say my dad was taking me and my sister swimming we were taking turns as to who got to sit in the front seat you know that is a form of precedence and in our family it was based on equality you know you get you get to take it in turns you mm -hmm. might have a family where that form of precedence is based on a principle like age so the oldest gets mm. to do it or do you know what i mean that mm. that or the one that's been best behaved that week gets yes. gets to do it it's that that's sort of how precedents work so when we people have debates about does does sophie have the curtsy to camilla which is how it normally manifests online yes. it doesn't really work there are some broad principles and that they tend to get observed those that want to do things properly will observe those principles if they're organizing their own events or their own occasions but actually it can always change and as we've seen now it looks like the principle fluidly that the king is working to precedence among the royal family is to put the working members of the royal family and give them precedence over the non-working members do you think that's fair I think that is fair, and I would also say that I'm an only child, so I didn't have to fight over the front seat when I was. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, there's probably all kinds of, all kinds of things that, um, without a sibling to negotiate with, um, I don't know. I don't know if it's a better or worse because I think having a sibling teaches you some lifelong survival skills. Oh. <laughs> well, we'll get. Well, that's a debate for another day. Yes, it is. Well, speaking of siblings. Seating plan. Seating <laughs> plan. Well, both both the king's sibling and and the prince of Wales' sibling, they were you know so they were placed behind uh, the working members of the royal family, and I've also seen a lot of observations about what they were wearing or what they weren't wearing. So 
let's just get this right. So yeah. we saw both of them wearing court dress. So we both saw them both wearing mor morning dress. Okay. So wearing morning coats. Now, the Duke of York did wear the mantle of the garter because he is a member of the Order of the Garter. Yes. And so therefore he wore that. Now, is the Prince of Wales also a member of the Order of the Garter? Prince of Wales is a member of the Order of the Garter. Yeah. He's made a member of the Order in 2008. And as Prince is the Duke of, Wales, of Sussex? No, he isn't. Okay. He hasn't been made a member of the Garter. Uh, and I would say just, that... Just to flag, before people start thinking, well, that's discrimination, the Order of the Garter has a finite list number of members. I believe 21? Well, 24, but... 24. But members of the royal family are extra... Oh, I see. <laughs> so members of the royal family can be created as members of the Order of the Garter at any point. Now, right. we saw that the Prince of Wales is automatically a member because oh, uh, as heir to the throne is, is one of the number. Yes, because the king is the sovereign of the king order. Is the sovereign of the order. Uh, and so the Prince of Wales is automatically becomes a member. However, other members of the royal family are created. But if we look at Elizabeth II's reign... The Princess Royal was only created a Lady of the Garter, or, or actually she isn't a Lady of the Garter, she's a Knight of the Garter, because she'd be, she asked to use the post nominals KG for Knight I rather see. than LG for Lady. But she was created in 1994 when she was already 44. But, but I believe before. that they, I believe it was only then they decided to admit women to the order. No, women have been... Wasn't well, Thatcher well, the first woman to be admitted? I think, oh, now you've got me on that one. I, I'm not sure whether she was, but I know Lady Soames was also a member of the uh, the Garter uh, because she was actually given the same uh, insignia that had been worn by her father, by Winston Churchill. So right. I'm not certain which of them came first, but I think it was 1987 that the, the decision was made that ladies would be a member of the, oh, okay. become members of the order, apart from the Royal Ladies. So if you think Queen uh, Queen's consort, since Queen Alexandra had been members of the order so queen alexandra was the first queen consort to be made a, a yes. member of the order of the garter since the middle ages uh queen mary queen elizabeth were also uh ladies of the garter and queen elizabeth was actually the first lady of the thistle that was ever created in 1937 but of course she was of scots heritage so that's of course yes why. um so members of the royal family are, are, are extra and so if you look the duke of york and the current Duke of Edinburgh, so Earl of Wessex as he was then mm -hmm. both created knights of the garter in 2006 for the queen's 80th birthday um and so the duke of sussex hadn't been created uh, a knight of the garter now you will have just seen... just to interject i've just been on wikipedia of you've been talking and it seems like lady soames was made a lady companion of the order of the garter in 2005 right so that yes that would have been after uh, lady thatcher um but yeah so I, but I, I as i say i was aware that that lady and, and you do see so um last year um you we, we saw um Baroness Scotland is created as a, mm. a lady of the garter because I was right, there on garter and saw her, you know, walk in procession. Mm. So you know, it, we do see uh, female members of the the garter these days. Um, but what? So the Duke of Sussex hadn't been created a member of the garter, and I would say that that think that that's very unlikely that he would be now. Now he's not a working mm. member of the royal family any mm. longer. Uh, so therefore, he couldn't wear his garter robes. But um, you will have seen now the, to digress slightly, but still on the subject. One thing that I found quite surprising is that, right, so you saw the Princess of Wales, the um, Duchess of Gloucester and the Duchess of Edinburgh wear the mantle of the Royal Victorian Order. Mm. That's because they are all 
Dame's Grand Cross of the yeah. Victorian Order. So that means that at state occasion, you will normally see them wear the sash. And this is one of the few occasions where they wore the mantle of the order mm -hmm. and the, the collar. The Duke of Sussex isn't actually a knight Grand Cross, but he's a knight companion. So that right. means he doesn't wear the mantle, which doesn't. So he simply wore his morning coat with the with the um, badge on on the on the coat. I see. So that's why he didn't have a mantle to wear because he doesn't. He's not of sufficient rank. I see. Right, right. Wearing it. Uh, so you know, there's been a lot of comment on on that and why Andrew was wearing robes and and Harry wasn't. Um, mm. And that's simply the the answer that he doesn't have uh, sufficient rank within the order of which he's a mm. member to wear a mantle and wear the the chain, wear the collar uh, rather. And uh, but one thing that I I I do not have an answer to, um, and I'm hoping that somebody else might, mm. is why the because both the Princess Royal and Princess Alexandra are ladies or knights of the garter. Yeah, but they didn't wear their garter mantle. Well, the Princess wore, Royal was dressed in a whole different role, wasn't she? She was. She was dressed as the gold stick in waiting. So she wore her uniform mm. as the colonel in chief of the Blues and Royals. So which is why she wore the cocked hat with the, the red plume, mm. which people did debate about whether she was put in front of Prince Harry so that he wouldn't be able to see because of her oh. the plume and her hat. Gee, it's been a long time on their hands. <laughs> yes. I know it says us doing this for hours, but <laughs> <laughs> but I, I I would find that very surprising. But on when she was in the Abbey not in the and when she was riding in the procession but when she was in the abbey she wore instead of the garter mantle she wore the mantle of um the order of the thistle which is the next most senior order that she holds so yes. she wore so normally on right so usually you will see people wear the most senior order to which they're entitled so that's why yes. duke and the colleague will generally see the uh, royal dukes and the princess royal wearing the sash of the garter. Mm. Last year for the Jubilee, it was considered a collar day. So they wore the collar of the garter, which they don't usually mm. wear, mm. the chain around the neck. And they wore then the sash of the next order, uh, which they mm. had so the, for the Prince of Wales, it was then Princess Royal. Um, they wore the uh, the thistle and the, mm. uh, the current Prince of Wales, so the Duke of Cambridge was then wore the thistle sash. Duke of Kent wore the uh, order of uh, St Michael and St George because he that is the next most senior order which he has. But the Princess Royal wore her thistle mantle with her garter sash, and I, I that doesn't surprise me at all because the no. Princess Royal is the royal family that is seen or engineered or whatever you would look at it to have the the strongest affinity to Scotland. It is. Uh, I, I understand that, but it, but it, but in terms of precedence and rank and and you know mm. all of the, the those things that you, there's no real explanation other than that's what she wanted to wear but I, quite, you know, I cannot think because, of any other explanation the, the, the mission the mission of charles basically if he has anything verging a political mission is to keep the union alive mm. the monarchy is one of the better chances of doing that and to give sorry non-brits a context to that there's the united kingdom consists of a union between england wales scotland and northern ireland and there is a ongoing conversation as to whether Scotland wishes to remain part of that union in, in, in the future. And the royal family, while never voicing political views, are thought to be doing all they can to try and keep that union together, which they, I think, see as quite essential to the identity of the monarchy. And I suspect Anne, who has always been the biggest ambassadorial figure north of the border in Scotland, will have been mindful of that 
in the at the coronation because it won't mean much to many but it will mean a lot to a few yes that's true and then princess alexandra who wore the mantle of so the great to see her wasn't Victorian... it yeah I've, I've always liked princess alexandra yes me too. just to see her there uh but she was wearing the mantle of the order of the royal victorian order with mm. the garter sash um which again you know there's no real reason other than perhaps for her comfort because it's satin it's lighter to wear than the garter that's the only reason it I could be or, could or be because a... she wanted to but the... <coughs> so princess alexandra is a member of the guard is the was she a lady companion of the order yes of the made in, in 2003 uh, right. and so, uh, last year she no longer walks in the procession and so she and the duke of kent were taken in a golf buggy to uh to st george's for the for the service right. but she was wearing her garter robes there so uh it was just a surprise to see her wearing the uh the royal victorian order although she and the duke of kent are the most senior members of the royal victorian order now most senior living right. members of the royal victorian order because they right, were both created right. in 1960 wow so, yeah yeah and and you know if you it think of kent they, at the coronation sorry were the michaels of kent at the coronation yes they were he was wearing um the sash of the at Royal Victorian Order and uh, Princess Michael, like the other royal ladies who were not in ceremonial robes because she's not a member of any of those orders. Yes. She was wearing day dress like her, like the others were. And right. So, of course, that was the biggest change, I think, in, in terms of look for the coronation. You mm. saw the royal ladies wearing, they weren't wearing um, robes of estate. They didn't have mm. pages to carry their trains or anything like that. They did wear the orders of chivalry to which they're entitled with long evening dresses, mm. which is if you ever go to the guard ceremony or to the thistle ceremony, as I, I've been looking up to over the yes. years, you do see them wearing evening dress with the, mm. uh, the full robes on, the, you know, this on is, the top. This is something I find absolutely fascinating about modern royalty and British history, because being a prince or princess other than being the prince or princess of Wales, is not really something that exists in, for lack of a better term, English history. Mm. It's the Germanic system that you call those related to the king, a prince or princess, which we imported in 1714, and it yeah. just sort of stuck. But going back in history, a prince or princess, it doesn't mean anything. So when you come to these very ancient ceremonies, being a prince or princess doesn't give you any either any role or anything to wear. Being a peer gives you something a duke or an earl yes. being a knight or a member of an order gives you something that's got places not that i'm not saying all the orders are ancient but that the idea of an order mm. and an idea of knighthood is ancient but being a prince or princess doesn't actually carry any status with you particularly at these things no, but yet they did seem to adopt the same dress as as would uh, as if they were members of the peerage so even if they weren't so for example in, so in margaret the, at the queen's princess did. margaret yes. yes did wear um the robes of you know the robe that was then carried by a page and she did have a, a, a princess's yeah. coronet even though she wasn't a, a, a but that was quite out of place in some senses although i think we do i think princes and princesses do have coronets on their they on do. their um their insignia and stuff well they do and uh, and of course it, you know princess margaret was by no means the exception princess alexandra did although because she was uh she was only what was she you're tiny wasn't she 16. well she was 16 i think in, oh was she uh, oh fair enough like, yeah yeah um, so she, she born, yes but she wore a coronet as Elizabeth and Margaret had done at their father's coronation without the without the ermine um, right. and without the velvet, you know, just the the plain, mm. plain gold. Uh, but, you know, simply the gold without yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the trimmings around it. Um, but of course, if you look, so had Princess Mary, who later became Princess Royal, at the coronation mm. of her parents in 1911. Right. You know, she was only 14 at the time. She wore a coronet. And so, you know, we have seen that 
that done. Um, you know, and if you look at the coronation in 1937 and 53, you had, mm. say, Princess Mary Louise, for example, who attended, you know, both those coronations wearing tiara and with, and well, she was married, but of course her marriage was annulled. Um, but she was essentially, you know, at that point, a, a, you know, for want of a better expression, spinster princess. Um, what well, is a question for you. Yes. Um, and I don't know if this ever happened. I'm sorry for having this being a tangent, but where you had sort of turn of the century after the reign of Queen Victoria, mm. you had a number of princes and princesses who were members of the British royal family through marriage or through their parents' marriage who were not princes or princesses of the United Kingdom. Yes. So, you know, we're talking about the we're talking about the Battenbergs are the most obvious example. Did mm. they attend the coronation and were they decorated as British royals in those capacities? So I guess the only one would be Edward VII because by the time it, oh no and George V because after yeah. that you then they then get anglicised titles in the nineteen seventeen revolution. Yes, but they did attend after that too. I mean, even that. So if you look at, for example, although yes, she was she was a member of the British royal family through birth, but if you look, say at Lady Patricia Ramsay, who was yes. born Princess Patricia of Connaught, and then gave up her prince, uh, princely title on her marriage, or chose yes. not to use it after her marriage. She well, no, she was relinquished by royal warrant. It was actually yes. fully taken away. But yeah, it was. However, at the coronations of both 1937 and 1953, mm. she still dressed as a princess of the of interesting. blood, and she sat with the princesses of, of the blood. So that's interesting. Same, she was gra- so, that that warrant granted her precedence um, ahead of marchionesses so basically yes. after duchesses yes. but obviously she was still treated as a princess when yes and and if you look at princess marie louise who um was born princess marie louise of, of schleswig holstein because she was the daughter of princess yes helena princess christian of schleswig holstein um in 1917 while the other uh non-british royals so queen mary's own family mm-hmm. so the tex um, became the Cambridges because, mm. of course, her grandparents had been Duke and of Cambridge. Uh, her brother became Marquis of Cambridge. And the Battenbergs obviously became the Mount Battens. Mm. Princess Marie Louise and Princess Helena Victoria, because they were they were unmarried, although, yes, uh, Princess Marie Louise had been married, but she was childless and her, mm. her marriage had been annulled. They were, they were allowed to, to continue calling themselves because they were Her Highness, not Her Royal Highness, yes, because yes. in those days, the great grandchildren of the monarch were entitled to be known as as his or her highness. Yeah, which, there was some know, debate about that, but yes. Well, th- it was still in common usage. It was they used the titles, you know, whether they were legally entitled. There, there titles, weren't many occasions where it actually came up, which is why it was debated. But then, it is, but, but the if you have dividing it out that led to the nineteen seven yes. elimination you, of it. But if you do have a copy of Princess Marie Louise's autobiography, which was published in nineteen fifty six, she's before mm. she died. She's referred to as Her Highness Princess yes. Marie Louise on it, and so therefore, um, and so there was a div- and so. Um, there was there was um, a great discussion about the about the width of the seats that they were allowed mm. in the abbey and i can't remember the exact uh, dimensions without looking it up but um princess marie louise was heard to say that uh, that she felt sorry for the poor peeresses who were only given however many inches but because she was a highness she was given an extra extra four extra or six inch. <laughs> so there, so therefore it did still count for the royal highness extra two inches no, I, exactly. no, I suppose it does count for something. I mean, yeah, because the um, I could never say uh, princess and prin- prince and princess Christian. What was that? Yes. I could never say it of. Yes, I could never say it because they basically just dropped that bit, but carried on being prince yes. and princess Christian, didn't yes. they? 
They did. They did. Um, and I think their children were. And that's where their were. daughters were the same because their both of their sons had died by this point, and so yes. um, so there was no question of inheriting titles. Exactly. So, so it's like just let the ambiguity. Yes. continue and die but with they them. Were, so they were princesses, but princesses of nowhere because they oh, weren't yeah. actually English or British princesses. No, but no, they no, weren't no. princesses of. Yeah, but they'd not had to relinquish. Yeah, in the same way that say the princes of Hanover, who until that point had still been members of the royal family and still until recently still had to ask for permission under the Royal yes. Marriages Act, which, which again we discussed before. Um, they were they had. They were no longer uh, members of princes, princes and princesses of the United Kingdom. Mm. So, the you know, Princess Mary Louise and Princess Helen of Victoria were were sort of real anomalies in that. And I think it's mm. because they were both unmarried, and it was just it easy didn't matter, did it? it because otherwise, you would have to create problem. titles for them. Um, You'd have, they could have become lady, couldn't they? Could they? Have. But then, they what's their last name? Well, I don't think anybody knew. Exactly. And they can't yeah, be a German sounding last name. Well, no, so, I mean, they could hardly have been uh, especially Karlstein, Sonderberg, Glucksberg or anything. No, of course, because the whole point so, was getting rid of the German name. Yes, exactly. So, whereas with the so, Battenbergs, it's different. So you're going to rename the whole family about Batten, two branches of it, both at Marquess level, which is basically saying they rank below Dukes, which sort of gives you the impression of maybe where we see these sort of lower ranking serene highnesses as being in the equivalency of the British system. Yes. Um, which is probably about right. I mean, titles just go much yeah. further. And in then, the of duality. course, there were uh, the other Mountbatten's of Princess Beatrice's family, yes. Yes, um, yes. Uh, at the uh, the, the Brooks. And so, therefore, you know, it was it was quite a you know an anomaly. But yes, uh, but getting back to that, so they were they pounding were... through my lager here. By the way, this is the second one. <laughs> How's your G and T going? It's hardcore. I, I've just it's gone. Oh. I have to Definitely. go and fetch another one, which I'm not. I'm not planning on doing just just yet. Um, Keep a clear head. Clear head, yes. Which is funny actually, because on coronation, you know, I was doing a lot of interviews the day before the coronation. We yeah. had a drink at lunchtime. I thought I won't have any more now because I've got to get through doing all these interviews, and I yeah, don't. Of course. I want to still be coherent by the end of it. You're just like, I bloody love the king. God save the king. <laughs> that was so emotional. <laughs> um, yes. So, but no, we we cracked open the drinks after we'd finished doing them. Just so anybody knows, we were hardcore. I must say, um, no. So, so you're right in terms of precedence. It is very fluid. It does depend on the mm. occasion. And so, I think that in seating them where they did, it was obvious that uh, working members of the royal family were being shown that precedence. And of course, it was only working members of the royal family that we saw appear on the balcony with their children, and mm. um, at the end of the celebration as well. But of course, you know, it leads to a lot of debate. But one thing I must say, I do lament, and I'm really sorry to say this because it is very shallow of me. Go on. But because... I know what you're going to say. Go on then. Tiaras. Well, I just think it's sad that we don't see them. I'm sorry, but I do. Um, Okay, I agree with you. So go on, say your thing, and I'll then share my my, my lament. I understand why they don't wear, you know, why they went for a, a, you know, because it is seen as being more of the people it's being seen as you know they were wearing day dress but then i did think that you know when the ladies were wearing the uh the you know working members of the royal family wearing the mantles of course they had the the head pieces of the the silk flowers mm. and actually they looked very very i like tiaras and, and if you look at the beginning of queen victoria's reign she very often would wear uh, arrangements of flowers in her hair rather than wear a tiara mm. Um, mm. so it, so in a sense it is harking back to a tradition that that what that did exist and then uh, fell out of fashion. Yes, I just yeah. think it's very sad that because you have all of those pieces there, they are worn, say, for the state opening of Parliament with the evening dress, and so the ladies mm. were the working members of the royal family 
female working members of the royal family were wearing those mm. uh, evening dresses and wearing the mantles and so it's just a shame that you didn't have them to go with it and of course no, it's really interesting in the jewelry and you know the history of the the provenance of the stones and you know if you're sad like me and you 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 know you'd spent time guessing which ones might appear on which ones and would and would say lady louise where it's spent time, time guessing that I, no, I agree no i agree right so i'm going to share my lament now and then i'm going to say why they were right to ignore my lament but i'm not sure they were to ignore yours and i'll say why so i my lament as i was really sad we didn't have the homage of the peers yeah. so we didn't have i don't I don't think we've done the whole period by any means but i would have loved because no, we'd still have been there now <laughs> quite so i would have loved it if just the highest the highest peer from each degree in, in and, and and combining england scotland so that it was done by date order in as much as we can possibly know because we don't with some of the oldest titles doing the homage i get it partly it's because then you've had to have the royal dukes well you could have skipped the royal dukes the prince of wales could have done it on behalf of the royal family yes, yes. um and then you've had the andrew and the harry of it all but i also get it because it would have been five i actually haven't checked i'm not sure maybe is the premier baron maybe a baroness i'm not quite can't quite remember but you basically have had five old white men who would probably be very sort of and it would have sent probably all the yeah well quite and i don't mean that disrespectfully to any of their lordships if they're listening um but i can see that have sent all the wrong messages i just like to point out that i did not take part in that knocking of the the no of their lordships and i don't mean to mock but i i get it you know i get it was sent all the wrong signals but for me as a major history geek major royal geek i would have loved it your lament of the tiaras I think I'm not sure they made the right call on that. I think people get that if you're going to have royalty, royalty are going to be quite well off. Like that, that's sort of part of it. And sparkling tiaras, of course, are rich, but people love a bit of bling. I mean, I've seen RuPaul's Drag Race. People like bling. Do you know what I mean? It's not an outdated thing. I've not, I've not quite seen the two compared before. No, and I'm but, not, um... and I don't mean that to be disrespectful. To <laughs> no, I'm not saying it is disrespectful, but it's just, it's just not an association that I would I'm, have made. I'm just saying, if the royal family are going to have riches, which I think we all accept they're going to, let put them on display and let's all enjoy yes. them. And of course, you know, if you're a pragmatist, you do see that those things are already there. It's not as though they're being yes. created for the occasion. They're already there in the vaults, so they may as well be worn. And we do see them at royal weddings. We see them at state banquets. We see them at state mm. Mm. parliament. So therefore, it's not such a leap um, that we would have expected to see them at the at the coronation. But- and. And, and again, you know, one of the things that we have seen is that since the death of the late Queen, we've seen um, members of the royal family starting to wear pieces of jewellery that belonged to her. So, for mm. example, at the coronation, it was released that the Princess of Wales was going to wear the George VI festoon necklace, mm. which is a diamond necklace, which was made of collet diamonds, which had uh, belonged to Queen Mary in her collection. Because, you know, if you've seen any portraits of Queen Mary, you will know that she used to be completely bedecked in, in jewels from head to toe. And she would often wear... Uh, chokers and then much longer um, necklaces too mm. and so she had all of these on uh, these collet diamonds in her collection to lengthen various necklaces so that she could wear them in different configurations mm. and so George VI had these made into a necklace which was given to Princess Elizabeth mm. not as a wedding gift but before she became queen um, and so the Princess of Wales was said to be wearing it now you couldn't see it in the abbey and it appears right. that she wore some sort of cape or, or caplet over mm. uh, the dress but underneath the mantle but we did see it in the 
in the official portraits that were released afterwards. And so, you know, if you're interested in mm. the royal jewellery and in the history of those stones, to then be seen to see them being worn by new generations yes. is yes. quite exciting to see that unfurl in front of you. Well, and so that's why I think it is is a disappointment that, that we didn't I, see. I agree. But, but, but I must say, it didn't detract from my enjoyment of the it, it, Of course it not. But that... I would say, as someone that runs a blog on royal history and Facebook group with over 40,000 followers, jewellery is something people are very very interested in now and, and in a sense as a frustration because i know nothing about it and i'm not very interested so i find it quite hard to, to satisfy that um with people but they are very interested if i do a q a lots of questions about it which i don't know the answer to because i'm you know me i'm more into the other aspects of it sort of really dry constitutional political stuff but and and the wars and battles and stuff but i think it is something people like I don't think people feel resentful. Of course, some people do, but we know they're rich anyway. Do you know what I mean? Let's just let let's all enjoy the wealth yeah. of it. So I think I think they could have gone with. I get I get it, but what I would say is my concern about. Oh, I'd love to see the homage of the peerage. They were right not to worry about me and maybe one other person in the whole universe that cares about that. But I'm not sure there was quite the right call to cut the tiaras. But, you know, on the just on the subject of tiaras, before we finish that, mm. I must say, you know, I used to do a regular slot on a, on a radio programme. Mm. And I used to, <laughs> the presenter, he always used to introduce me as the man who can name all of the Queen's tiaras. And, right. and I'm not saying I couldn't, because I could. But at the same time, I used to slightly resent it because I used to always think, but my interest is a lot broader. Yes, of course. Universe. Of course. But then you can have, I mean, like, if you take, history take alison weir who i think is one of the best sort of what we call sort of narrative history writers i think her her books have got a scholarly precision and a depth of analysis which is lacking in a lot of others mm. but she'll also talk a lot about the 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 dresses and the jewelry and the clothing people because she knows people loves it and it's interesting and it actually does impact social history and it actually does impact other things. It does a lot about what was going on, and it makes it makes the the details of people's lives richer. So we don't have to be so. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Not not binary as such, but you know we don't have to divorce all these things and say, oh, he's you know like yeah, and it is. It, I know what you mean. Him saying the man that knows all about the Queen Charles is is quite patronising. It's making it sound I don't like think he's it was meant patronising. No, I'm it, sure at all. And I must point out this is actually somebody who I'm still in touch with. Um, and and you know, yeah, but I'm I'm, I'm a lager and a half in now, so it's gonna get mm. it's gonna get Larry. Let's, Larry. <laughs> let's get him on. Then we're gonna tell him what we think about him. Send him the Zoom link. I'm joking. For the no, audience. he's a nice oh. guy and somebody that I like a lot. But it, it, it was just at the time I used to think, I do know more about them just that. Because yes. it's yes, the impression that people get. You know, you know masses about everything, really. Oh, well, that's very kind of you to say. Um, and oh, and very, well, no, but, you know, I've had enough people in my life want to tell me to shut up and leave and forget about it. So. Isn't that why we do this? Because we thought there might be 300 people out there that actually aren't going to tell us to shut up. So we've decided you know, to try and feed you know, ourselves into their That's life. why I'm so pleased we found each other. Well, exactly. But, exactly. Um, but one thing, one last thing I will say about all of that, and, and it actually combines those two points about not, you know, because there were 
far fewer people in the Abbey. And so you didn't have those great grandstands built like you did in, in 1953, because as I say, I was lucky enough to go into Westminster Abbey the week after the coronation, see how mm. everything set out. And so you didn't have an annex built at the front. You didn't have all of those grandstand seating uh, because you didn't have as many people. You didn't have all the peers there. Um, so what I think you did lack slightly is that because I've heard David Starkey compare it to an opera mm. uh, and and actually there's there's something in that because you know when you had all the peers and the peeresses in their in their ermine mm. uh, and I'm not trying to make a point about whether you know we should wear ermine or not I'm just saying that's what they wore uh, and then you had at the moment of the crowning yeah. at the moment the king was crowned you had all the peers put on their yeah. coronets and at the crowning of the queen you would have all the peeresses put mm. on their coronets and so I do think that you did sort of lack that sort of theatricality of that yes. it was that was visually a great moment if you've seen the coronations of 1937 or 1953 it was a great moment mm. to see all of that and so I think that that was something that was slightly lacking there were lots of things to make up for it and I'm not mm. trying to criticize this coronation in any way because I do think it's very successful I just think that and I can see why you'd want to democratize and meritocratize mm. it mm. but mm. I'm just saying that, that I think that in doing so you lack a little bit of the glamour. You lack, a, you know, the sparkle and the the theatricality of the occasion. Mm, so that's, mm, mm. If I were going to make a, any criticism, it would be just that it was slightly less theatrical, slightly okay. less grand. Yeah, uh, than I think that's valid. Well, there were good reasons for it, so I'm not, you know, I'm not I, against it. I agree. I, Look, we uh, neither of us are criticizing. We re we totally recognise it was a fully successful day. A lot of a lot of uncomfortable hurdles were well navigated. But yeah, that I agree with you that that participatory aspect of it, by trying to make it, by trying to increase the franchise of that participation, I think they actually made the participation less. If that makes sense, in a way, yes, yes. In, in a not, in not, yeah. I'm not saying I could have done any better, and it might have been terrible. I can see, and I can completely see how doing it as you and I suggested, maybe they should have could have backfired. I really can see that. Yes. yes. Speaking of things that were tricky and I don't think did backfire. So just to close the loop on the whole seating plan, if you like, and, and the Sussex thing, you will know that I have been not entirely, well, no, I, I wouldn't say I've been unsupportive of the Duke and Duchess of Sussex, but I haven't agreed with a lot of the way they've chosen to conduct themselves mm, mm. in the last 18 months. You, you, That's no secret to you. It's no secret really to anybody. What I will say is, Given the state of play that they found themselves in at the beginning of the beginning of the king's reign, I think they made the right decision with the way they chose to handle the day, which was for the duke to come, yes. for the duchess not to, not because I think the duchess is any kind of villainess or I I hold her responsible for any of the things that have gone, but it just it helped to desensitize it to anybody, and then it means the duke was there, which leaves the door open for any other kinds of reconciliation in the future. I'm not saying I'm optimistic about them, but the door is open, and I think the royal family responded well, or the king responded well, in organizing things so that he didn't have to play a major role without that looking strange. What did you think? I agree. I think that by staying away, she probably did the right thing. Uh, I'm not trying to argue that she shouldn't have been there or anything like that. But I just mean that I think if she had been there, then there would have been an awful lot of attention about where she was sitting, Absolutely. who, she was, looking at, who yes. she was talking to, who she wasn't talking to. I mean, there was enough of that with about Prince Harry and that would have been magnified a hundredfold if she had been there she as well. She showed dignity in staying away. I think she did. Which I agree with you. Doesn't mean she, she shouldn't have been welcome or anything no. like that. No. Or that it's her fault, because I really don't believe no. that. No, and I think that, you know, I think that, 
I think that people do sort of try and categorize people like you and me as being necessarily against them and everything they do. And I'm certainly not that. I I I would go so far as to say that I don't I fail to understand Prince Harry and his motivations any longer. Yeah. But that is not the same as as saying that I am against him at all. Absolutely. I just fail to understand, you know, certain choices that he makes, where but he's coming from it, any longer. For for people like you and me, it is very difficult to see the logic between what the Sussexes have stated as their objectives and their activities. But I think both you and I would say that we fully recognise we can't really know what it's like to be in their position. No. Uh, there's a degree of damned if they do and damned if they don't, whatever they do in life. And it's very easy to stand back and judge without being having walked a mile in their shoes. I think we would have the humility to say that. Yeah, I agree. I agree. But I think that the fact that the king wanted his son there on his coronation day, you know, the biggest day of his life, the day that he's waited 70 years for. And, yeah. and in saying that he's waited 70 years, I don't mean that he's been rubbing his hands in glee, wanting his mother to die. No, I no, mean that agree. he had known that this day was coming. And mm. so it, it was the biggest day of his life. And so, of course, he'd want his son there. And so I think mm. that, and I also think that the Duke of Sussex... Darling boy. Darling boy. The darling boy. And, you know, I'm, I can imagine, you know, if that were my father, mm. that, you, you know, you would you would not want to miss something like that because it, yeah exactly once you, you've missed it you've missed it you can't go back that's exactly that, it that's, that's exactly thing, it he did miss prince philip's memorial service mm. um last march uh which was of course the last time that we saw the queen attend a, a mm. large public uh, event like but that. but he had been at the funeral at least he had been at the funeral um but I, no i'm not trying to be judgmental he wasn't there but i just mean that once you've missed it you've missed it you can't exactly. go back and do it again and so i think that he made the right choice to be there and i think that he did behave with great dignity you know he he did walk in the abbey with you know with the princess eugenie's family and he did mm. sit with them and you know he did yeah. see show great dignity and we didn't see him afterwards and that was that was fair enough um but we did he was at least there for that moment mm. and i think that i think that was important for him, for the king and i think it was also important for him as well um, I so i think that i think that you know the situation is obviously very fractured and that is not me trying to make any kind of judgment that's based mm. on what, what he has said himself and remember, we've only really heard his side of it. We've not, we've not heard the king or the prince of Wales talk directly about uh, about other than you know the king has has praised his son uh, for his you know his work in his new life. But we so you know we know that the relationship is fractured. But I think that it was the best outcome that we could have expected. I I agree. I think I mean maybe this is not the time to talk about spare. Though maybe we should find a time. But I think it's also worth saying that actually when you read spare it, the king doesn't actually come up harry doesn't dish out his major blows on the king it's no it, he's seen as being more sort of um more sort of remote isn't he i mean yeah. he, one thing that i did make me laugh a bit was um when he referred <laughs> and this ties in with what we we're talking about you know late youth or early middle age he refers to his father as being an older dad and of course, he was only 35 at the time he was born. But in is... those days, that was older. When I think my parents, because I'm with similar, my parents were both in their 20s when they had me. Uh, the so my parents were both in their 40s. So yeah. um, that was the, the difference. Um, but all I mean is he was, he was 
oh, the, the king is nine years younger than my dad was. So right, know, right. So you know, I and I would have called my dad an older dad because he was forty-five when I was mm. born. So you know, I, you know, now as an older person, one looks at that and thinks, yes, yeah, yeah. Um, but but you know, and of course, you know, and how old was Harry when he had his kids? Well, he was a similar sort of age, wasn't he? Yeah. So you know, because he's the same age as I am. Uh, you know, Princess Lilibet is is now two, so he would have been. 36 then he'd have been 34 i think when uh prince yeah. was born. so you know not exactly you know not very much different to that um but the i think the, the you know it's just things being quite remote and unaffectionate so you know if you look at the the chapter when he talks about his father very movingly tells him that uh, that his mother has died and you know he didn't hug me but he, he patted me on the knee and said it'll be all right well of course it wasn't going to be all right and i thought i felt so sorry for the king in that in that moment yeah. because i thought well, what would you say to, to your child who's just lost a parent? And what, there's also there's lots of darling than, boy and, you know... And what it wasn't, can you say other than it will be all right? You know, yeah, I'll, I'll be here for you, I'll look after you. Um, you know, so yeah. that, I, you know that, that's where I think he was... I think it was sort of damned with faint praise more than more than any killer yeah. blows, uh, I, I would agree, say. I agree. Um, but, you know, putting all that aside, I think the fact that he was able to be there for his father's coronation, because as I say, if he'd not been there, you can't go back and do it again. Once you've, once you've, once you've missed yeah. something as important as that, that's it. Um, if he'd been ill or something like that, that would have been rather different, but you know, just to have chosen not to have gone, I think that would have made the relationship far more fractured and made it far more difficult. So, you know, could this leave the door open to a reconciliation? You know, I can't answer that and I'm sure you can't either, but no. I think that, I think it makes it more likely than if he'd stayed away, is all I would say. Uh, well, I think, I think the, the the key phrase is the door is open. I'm not saying anyone's close to the door or, or maybe the door's unlocked is, is a better way of, of putting it. You know, I mean, it's possible. I may. I'm not saying was it would be impossible otherwise, but I. I think that. I think that the Duke and Duchess of Sussex made the best decision they could within the circumstances. I think they handled it with the most dignity they could within the circumstances, and I think the king and the royal family responded, in in like way, uh, in yes. like manner. Yes. So, and I think that's to all their all their credits, mm. and for all that these things seem so big at the time, it's already died down, hasn't it? Mm. I mean, yes. that's the reality. Yes. Um, and just one one more thing, not on them, but of course, the day marked uh, in the because we we're talking about the religiosity of the occasion. Mm. It marked the very day that we went from calling Camilla, uh, Camilla, the queen consort in the oh, state yeah. to Queen Camilla. And mm. so she, you know, it marked the and uh, an awful lot of that. This has been made in the press about she's not mm. queen. She's only queen consort. And all yeah. That. Yeah. You know, most of that is rubbish because, of course, Queen Elizabeth, Queen Mary, Queen Alexandra, they were all yeah. queen's consort. But yet they were all known during their husband's lifetimes as Her Majesty the Queen. Exactly. Um, and I think that that any any discussion over that is is quite simply is very silly. Th there's uh, a lot of con there's a lot of confusion I've noticed on this on social media and a lot of it's well intentioned. I think it comes down to two or three things. The first being. Prince Philip was not king. No. So when Charles was saying, or, you know, queen, people were seemed to, and I understand this, people are not going to be obsessed with history in the way that you and I are. People seemed to think it was, she was getting something more than a woman married to the king would normally get. And of course, at the time of their marriage, for sensitivities, it was announced she was going to be princess consort. So there was a sense that Camilla, among some, had been promoted unduly. So then we explain, no, 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 women who women can take their husband's rank. A husband can't take his wife's rank. That's why the wife of a king is a queen, but the wife 
the husband of a queen is not a king. So then I think people were confused because when the queen had said, the late queen, Elizabeth II, had said in her Jubilee message, I would like Camilla to one day be known as Queen Consort, People to, and I get this, people thought that was a literal. And I even wondered for a while, because when we were calling Camilla Queen Consort, I thought, is this a literal interpretation of that? And that's how she'll be known throughout the reign. But I think what people misunderstood is, and they'd perhaps forgotten that in 2005, it said she'd be known as Princess Consort. Yes. So what the Queen was really saying was, I want her to have the normal status that someone married to the King would have, which is to yes. be a Queen Consort, yes. but they'll be known just as the Queen, yes. in this case, Queen yes. Camilla. Yeah, in the same way that Queen Alexandra, Queen Mary, Queen Elizabeth. I mean, the, the way in yes. which we refer to Camilla as Her Majesty the Queen, but she's Queen Consort. You know, yeah, Queen, Queen Adelaide, Queen Charlotte, yes. Queen yes. Caroline. Yeah. Well, <laughs> not for long. Queen Caroline, yes. Um, um, for anybody who's you... not listened to that episode, it's a good one. It's a very good one. And I think, that, although I do find a way to talk about Arthur in it, even though it's um, in the 1820s. Yes, because, because Gareth Streeter has, in fact, written a book called a book, Arthur. Very, very good book, 216 yes. pages. Every yeah. day it's lost with it. Yes, yes, it is. Yeah. And I've read each of those pages. Um, but uh, yes, you did. You did manage to, to shoehorn that in there. Um, but no, but it is no different to the way in which they were referred to as, as Queen, yet were Queen Consul. And of course, being Queen Consul only meant that they were not Queen Regent. Exactly. And that's yeah, what a queen consort else. is just referred to as as queen. Yes, she is not a queen regnant, but nor was Elizabeth II referred to as a queen regnant. You know, it's yeah, just, we didn't it's call not... her Majesty the Queen regnant, did we? Exactly. Uh, <laughs> but it just seems because I was a bit confused initially why even on the royal family website is referring to Camilla as the queen consort, and it just seems that it was a transition measure. Well, just I think to it was. Avoid well, I think if they had too early referred to her yeah. Majesty the Queen, then therefore people would have been confused as to who they were talking about. Was it the late exactly, queen or, was, or was it? So they'd be saying the Queen has just arrived at the Queen's funeral. Exactly. Yeah. Which is why, actually, you know, when and this was not any any tradition, this was just her own wish. When Queen Victoria died, Queen Alexandra refused to be known as Her Majesty the Queen until after Queen Victoria's funeral. She still was addressed as Her Royal Highness the Princess of Wales. And that was that was at her own request. It was not any form of right. precedence or anything. That was simply because she did not wish to have that title until uh, until the late queen was buried. So traditionally uh, within the peerage, if so, say um, you're so say you're the son of Viscount Taylor, and you would traditionally not start when your dad dies, you would not start calling yourself Viscount Taylor until after his funeral. So yes. I wonder if she was basing it on that tradition. Possibly, possibly, but uh, but it wasn't through any kind of royal precedence mm. or because of any edict. It was simply her own wish. I think, um, out of respect for her mother-in-law. Okay, that's very interesting. That's very interesting. Well, I mean, it's the that was a big moment in the coronation, and I, I'm glad we've now got clarity on that. What I noticed as someone, unlike you, I was watching from the safety of my living room, and the big thing that was exploding on social media, and I don't imagine any of this was at all clear on the ground, was the Penny Morden of the situation. Yes. Because particularly people from outside the UK, a lot of people were messaging saying, who on earth is she? And what is she doing? Yes. And she's, she's amazing. Is it worth us just explaining that a little bit? As well, to why she was president of the council. Yeah. So I think people don't realise that a lot of the ancient institutions of British monarchy, 
and to be if we're frank about it, English monarchy still mm. live and breathe within our parliamentary governmental system. Yes. And of course, the first time that most people would have seen Penny Mordaunt or noticed her would have been at the King's accession um, yes. when she when she read out um, the accession, you know, the accession council. Um, because I remember I was because I was at outside St James's Palace, and so mm. we heard that being broadcast at the time and and she had a lot of praise for the way in which she, she right. did that you know she, because she was very measured she was very controlled uh, she had very good you projected her voice very well very good mm. diction you know it, everything was very clear and she se- seemed to be very in control of that situation and of course you know when you think that that's a, a ceremony that hadn't been seen for 70 years it's not mm. as though anybody was familiar with the no the no no um and so she did get a lot of, of praise for that so i think that was the first time that many people who don't follow politics both in the uk and yes. certainly outside the uk would have seen her or had any idea yes. who she was uh, and, and to be honest, have to follow politics quite even i mean i i'm a politics nut but you'd have to follow politics fairly rigid not rigid rigorously to know who penny morden was when you even in the uk i would have thought yes yeah yes that's true so just to explain how this works in the in the british system so in in a government they're only by law allowed to be i can't remember it's 22 or 23 cabinet ministers who draw a cabinet member salary and they're all linked to government departments but there are a few roles that exist that the government need doing which don't officially have any recognition in the governmental system and the governmental pay structures. So one of those roles, well, two of those roles, a leader of the House of Commons and leader of the House of Lords. The leader of the House of Commons and the leader of the House of Lords are basically responsible for getting government business through those two respective chambers. But because that doesn't take that long, is often given to someone who is quite a good communicator or orator who can speak across a range of policy issues so that they can be going and talk about whatever on TV, et cetera, et cetera. And, but in order for that person to get a salary, a ministerial salary, they're given a whole load of titles that have historic purpose, which command a salary, but don't really exist in a meaningful way anymore. And typically, not always, the leader of the Commons is given the title of Lord President of the Council, which Tudor nerds like me will recognise as being an ancient title. And the leader of the Lords is typically given the title of Lord Privy Seal, which again, Anne Boleyn's father was Lord Privy Seal. People will recognise that title. And normally those bits and pieces, they mean nothing. They're just something that you might sign on the occasional official document. You might attend a a meeting of the Privy Council behind closed doors and read a few bits off a piece of paper, but they mean nothing. However, in the last year, Penny Morden, who is the holder, so she's she's a member of the government, she's a Conservative MP, and she... um was made Lord President of the Council so she could command a salary or cabinet rank and enjoy a salary while she was leader of the House of Commons at the Accession Council, suddenly had a major role to play. And then at the coronation had a major role to play. I think because Penny Morden is, I think it would be fair to say, um, is quite a beautiful, striking woman who carried a heavy sword, Mm. dressed both in a dignified but spectacular way throughout the ceremony really caught the mind's imagination and people were saying, who is this? So that's the explanation as to who she was. I think there's been some misunderstanding because I saw a few people saying, oh, what, so they've got a Conservative MP and not a Labour MP up there. Is that monarchy bias? Well, no. Um, 
because no, it wouldn't be Labour MP if it had if we'd had a Labour government. That's exactly it. So because the Conservatives are in government, they hold those positions. Had we had a Labour government, there would have been, and there always was, a Labour Lord President of the Council who would have been doing that role. What's interesting is that Penny Morden, who no one's heard of, did all of that. Rishi Sunak, basically they gave him a Bible reading because there's nothing for him to do. Because, yeah. of course, what people forget is that the Prime Minister is not an ancient office in the no. British system. It's a fairly new innovation, and it has no place in these ancient ceremonies. So although often the ancient ceremonies work around the current political system, there are awkward times where it just doesn't make any sense. No, so even though the power would rest with the, the yes. Prime Minister, the, the ceremonial wouldn't because it's it's much older than that system and so i mean so we when we talked about queen victoria we talked about lord melbourne now of course lord melbourne would appear so of course he mm. had a role at the coronation as a pit not not any greater than any of the other peers and of course mm. he was only uh, being a viscount when i say only i mean he wasn't um an yeah. earl a marquis or a duke but he had a role to play as a mm. as a viscount um whereas of course you don't have that um subsequently because the because there were not after Queen Victoria's reign, you didn't have prime ministers who were members of the House of Lords, so they wouldn't mm. have had an automatic right to appear at the coronation in the ceremonial robes or mm. to pay homage. Mm, exactly, it's a fascinating insight. It won't be what most people are interested in compared to some of the other stuff we've been talking about. But I always, I always find that the one of the wonderful things about royalty is that it keeps a link between our past structures and our current structures and shows some continuity. And I think that's that's a powerful thing. James, we've been talking for a long time. Um, just quickly, before we go, what do you think all of this means for the, the future of King Charles III's reign? Do you know what the funny thing is? I've been asked already, even though it's only you know, just after the coronation, how long do you think he'll stay as king? When do you think... <laughs> When will he, will he abdicate in favour of William? And I think, well, he's waited 70 years to get mm. uh, to become king. He's only just been crowned. I cannot see him giving that up anytime soon. I think that it shows what, I think it shows what we've already known about him. I think mm. it shows that he's a great res uh, respecter of tradition, but mm. he's not afraid to, very like George V and Queen Mary, not afraid to innovate when mm. the time is right so you know we saw that with the guest list for the coronation we saw it with uh you know the, the look and feel with the robes and and uh the mm. you know lack of the tiaras and everything they've lamented that you know we, we've seen a very clear direction in which he is going and so i think that it it shows that and i think as i said earlier i think it does show the link between crown and people is just as strong as it ever was you would not have had so many people turning up to to watch all of that if it weren't i think that it is something that you know we you know the princess royal put it uh well in that interview she gave just before the coronation that you know with him you know what you're getting because mm. he's been an active player on the world stage for so long yeah. so i think that he i think he'll continue uh, in mm. the way that he always has and i think that you know <laughs> Yes, okay, people comment about his popularity or Queen Camilla's popularity, and there have been you know, so many different polls. I think that if they carry on doing what they have been doing, it's not gone wrong for them so far. Yeah. So I think that I think they're on certainly winning formula. And what was lovely was seeing, you know, seeing the future unfurl. You saw the Prince of Wales paying comment. You saw Prince George as a page. Mm. You know, so he was he was there, you know, seeing the role at first hand that he will 
be called upon to, to carry out one yeah. day. And what so I think that that is I think that that is something which is is very charming as well. Uh, but of course, when you know by the time Prince George becomes king, things will be very different to mm. how they are now. But in the same way that they're very different to the world seventy years ago. But I think that you know to quote the old the French adage, and I won't do it in French, but you know the more things change, the more they stay the more same. They stay the same, absolutely. And I think that's I think that is quite true of the monarchy. I think that is something which it's always changed yet it still had that same sense of continuity but mm. yet it has be changed to become relevant to each generation and i think that that's what we're seeing now and i think that's what we'll continue to see i think that is a perfect note to end our conversation james thank you again for being an illuminating expert on these issues no thank if, you well i didn't want to say anything but i, th I think i've been helpful um, if you have enjoyed this conversation, do check out the rest of the podcasts, if you haven't already, on the Coronation Catastrophes series. Do join in the discussion on Royal History Geeks on Facebook, on Twitter, and on Instagram. That is where most of our engagement as a community happens. And we will, in one way or another, speak or write to you soon. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye.